Oh, that was cool. <laughs> it was neat. So, uh, hello, welcome back to our official first episode of Ava and Lilith, the Monsters of Men. I am your host, I'm DC. And with me today is my first ever co-host, the lovely Audrey. Hi! <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to make this really short because I'm pretty sure this episode is mostly going to focus on just us talking about the menace that is Ryoji Kaji. <laughs> And first of all, thank you all for voting, those of you who did vote. Uh, I saw that uh, the other two characters that were up for voting, uh, Naoko and Hikari, both got semi-decent votes, but it, obvi- it honestly, it didn't surprise me that Kaji was the one who won that poll. Because <laughs> out of the three, he is the most prominent and I don't want to say the most important, but he's definitely the one that sticks out the most out of those three. Yeah, I would say so, I think. Yeah. So, uh, Audrey, tell them a little bit about yourself. Uh, So, obviously, my name is Audrey. I use uh, they, them pronouns. Excuse me. Um, I actually pretty recently got into Evangelion. um, And by pretty recently, I mean in like the last two weeks. uh, I was watching it with my best friend. Because my fiance actually said, you know, I think it would be something that you enjoy. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to have a new interest during this eternal quarantine. So I started watching it. And then now I apparently cannot stop. I get it. That was that was kind of my experience with it, too. Like, I started watching it this year. Uh, before quarantine, though, I was watching around January, February, when things were bad, but they weren't bad with a capital b uh but uh something clicked in my head i don't know what happened that it was like this is all you're gonna think about now you are going to hyper fixate on this right yeah no i um i'd actually i'd done a lot of research on evangelion before i ever watched it because it seemed like something that i'd be super into but i just kind of until it was on netflix i didn't necessarily know how to watch it (laughs) Because I'm not, I, like, I can find movies online if you want me to find movies online. But God forbid I try to find anime online. Um, but well, it, uh, I understand that uh, before it was on Netflix, uh, it was very hard to find, right? Yeah, I, for whatever reason, like, it was really hard for people to get it licensed. Um, and, like, I, I had a really shitty computer and I was not trying to break it by accidentally oh. installing a virus. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I just like I read a lot of like yeah I like I read a lot of analysis and I like looked at like screen caps and I watched a lot of videos and I listened to the theme song a lot because outside of it being from Evangelion it is the like it goes the hardest that an (laughs) anime opening has ever gone I think (laughs) that theme song hits okay like I feel it every time I hear I'm just like like it's in my veins now at this point yeah because I'll be just I'll just be watching it minding my own goddamn business on my laptop oh my god am I allowed to swear on the podcast yeah of course okay thank you Um, I don't give a shit Uh, but I'll just be like watching Evangelion on my laptop and both my best friend and my fiance will come into the room and start singing along. And like, uh-huh. I understand we can all vibe here. Like we can all, we yeah. can all have a good time. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm always so afraid that I'm going to like butcher Japanese that what I do, I just start humming it. I just start mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, like, I don't want I, to, I, I don't want to offend anyone. So I'm just like, ha, la, 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 Right. That way I avoid and everything. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm glad you brought it up because uh, I did want to talk about like our experiences with Evangelion per se. Uh, for example, I Evangelion and the rebuilds are the only things that I have consumed regarding this franchise. Like I haven't read the manga. I haven't played the bajillion games that are out. <laughs> like none of that. Yeah, neither have I. I haven't read the manga. Um, I haven't played any of the games. I've only watched the first rebuild. Uh, I haven't gotten through two and three yet because I'm watching them with my best friend. Um, but I really actually quite liked the first one. I felt like it was very concise in its storytelling. Although I did miss a lot of like the moments where it's just kind of somebody staring off into the distance. I like yeah, that. Yeah, like five minutes. <laughs> I like that, but I, like I understand that, that not everybody is a huge fan of just complete and utter silence. I think that has more to do with the format, because since it's a movie, you have to tell more in less time. Yeah, you got to optimize, essentially. Yeah. Um, I I saw, I, I've seen all the rebuilds up until now. Uh, I don't think we're going to miss much in our discussion today, because Kaji barely appears in them, which is tragic it's it, apparently so yeah no that sucks <laughs> like, but like he's you know. in it but he's not in it if you get what i'm saying yeah like, he is a like it's to the point where in the rebuilds asuka doesn't have a crush on kaji really yeah yeah that's how that's how much he's not in it huh I guess that that would kind of change the interpretation of her character and like how she interacts with men. Yeah. Because that is, I oh, have yeah, so many notes on how Asuka interacts with men. <laughs> Asuka is, Asuka occupies most of my brain space. Like, honestly, valid. I feel the same I, about uh, Misato. I love I her to Misato death. so much. I love her. She's the not see this is where it gets into controversial territory because i honestly don't think that there's a best girl no best girl no i completely agree with you best girl debates are stupid and sexist and we won't have them here you know what actually ridiculous you know who best girl is best girl is the big triangle angel oh my god (laughs) i was was like it's maya isn't it You know what? Maya is a good runner-up. I feel like Maya is yeah. the like sweetest, most beautiful child that I've ever encountered in my life. Slowly followed by Hikari. Yeah. No, I would. I would say so. They're just both so sweet. Oh, they really are. Um, you know. You know. I uh, today I retweeted like a picture of some uh, someone posted a picture of official art where it was both Maya and Hikari. And the first caption that I had for that picture was angels. But then I was like, no, that's a different context in Evangelion. I have to call them something else. <laughs> I so, I put, so I put sweeties. <laughs> good, good, good. Because I Perfect. was like, oh no. Um, but I, anyway, I coming, coming back to the rebuilds, like uh, fair warning when you do get to the rebuilds, keep in mind that 
There is a common uh, belief that the Asuka in the Rebuild is a different Asuka because they have different last names. Oh, yeah. It's like they're like parallel universe Asukas or something. I, I, I don't I saw, know about that. I saw it mentioned somewhere that it was like not the Asuka in the original like oh, series. It, it definitely isn't. I could go on I a whole tangent on why it's not but when you see it you'll know i I know because you have a galaxy brain so when you see it (laughs) you're gonna be like ah yeah this is not soryu this is definitely shikanami shikanami i think was her her not shikanami or something yeah i think so something ending with nami yeah but anyway let's let's get back to to the menace himself uh wow kaji okay i want to ask you something Mm-hmm. What what was your first impression of Kaji? This is controversial. Oh my god, we are just hot with the hot takes tonight. <laughs> but I fucking hated him. <laughs> I hated him. I thought he was irritating. I thought he was really sort of lacking depth. Uh, I thought he was just supposed to be some sort of little obnoxious fuckboy that Misato gets to like <laughs> mess around with or that's just there to annoy her and that was mm-hmm. irritating to me and then yep. past like the first couple of episodes I was like wait a second this man has depth <laughs> can you believe it in 2020 um, a know. man with depth that's amazing a man. <laughs> right but like I actually I did not like him and then now I am firmly sort of conductor of the Kaji train, which is the most obnoxious place to be because my best friend doesn't like him still. What? Oh, that's crazy. Well, she, when we finish this podcast, you play it for her and we see if we, if we can change her mind. I'll do my best. I've been doing my best, honestly. <laughs> so my my first impression of Kaji was... It was very weird because I was immediately attracted to his type of character because <clears throat> I'm I'm a stupid I'm a stupid bi. You know that how they're smart bisexuals <laughs> and stupid bisexuals. Um, I am dangerously in the stupid bisexuals because my my type for male characters has always been like cocky and arrogant, which is infuriating in real life, but it works for some reason in fiction for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But I kept I kept trying to resist Kaji because for some reason my brain was like, oh, he can be creepy. Don't get too attached. He See, can be creepy. I will say I'm so the glad one he wasn't thing, I think what ended up like fully sort of swapping me over was yeah. my constant fear throughout the sort of time that he was alive was that when Asuka came on to him, he was going to engage with it. Yes. I was terrified yes. out of my mind i was like please yes. do not like leave her alone please leave her yes. alone i just want her to be happy and i want an adult in her life to set a good example and like when he was like no asuka like you're still a kid i'm not gonna engage with you like that and then like didn't allow it to happen anymore that really sort of swamped me over because i was like finally yes a good male role model for one of these <laughs> teenage girls like your mom you see galaxy brains galaxy brains because it happened the same for me like up until that point i was still like looking out for kaji i had definitely softened 
towards him because of how he treated Misato and stuff and how he was very caring towards Shinji. But what really cemented that was him just being like, no, girl, you're like 14. I'm not touching anything. You would you know not, my, not for me. <laughs> the series had like set the precedent that apparently that was not a problem for grown men. So I was afraid yeah. that we were just going to sort of carry on that sort of Trad- railroad track. Yeah. But we didn't pleasantly. And I was so surprised and like genuinely very excited to see like a grown man not be predatory towards a young child for once. Exactly. I, I 110 pre- and we're going to talk and we're going to get more into that because we're just going to talk about we're, we're going to do our best to talk about Kaji chronologically. Mm-hmm. And by chronologically, I mean from when he appears to when he dies uh, because Kaji, the th- interesting thing about Kaji in the story is that both Kaji and Asuka, as soon as they enter the narrative, the narrative changes. Mm-hmm. Because they are definitely the more lively counterparts to what was going on before them. Yeah. At I, least I believe so. I feel like they play sort of direct foils to Shinji and Misato, who are, in my, you know, galaxy-brained opinion, the protagonists of the series. Yes, I think there are two. I know that may be controversial, but whatever. Um, But I think that Asuka really sort of brings an energy to Shinji that he didn't have previously. She pushes him to do better like even even if it's just for the next two episodes like nine and ten she definitely pushes his buttons and she gets under his skin the way no one else does yeah and that that was really nice to see yeah i made a uh i made a note in my little notebook that was like asuka is the only person that shinji will argue with like openly like sort of challenge her on her ideas yeah and I, I really liked that she kind of gave him that that agency and that license to be like, no, I want you to stand up to me. Like, I want you to say it with your chest if you have a problem. And then yep, Kaji yep. is just like the complete opposite of Misato in that he is just the most emotionally connected. Like, I'm going to look you in your eyes and say some say some bullshit type of person. If you had, if you put a gun to my head and you ask me if any of the characters in this show are like as close to mentally stable as possible, Kaji is the one that gets gets the closest to being mentally stable. I, don't know. I think it would. I think it'd probably be Hikari for me, who I oh, <laughs> who yeah, I really okay, just yeah, want to be like off in the distance, like not doing anything with these people, just living her life very happily until she becomes an adult and dies old age, very very content. You know what? You got me there. You got me there. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I guess I was thinking more like in the central, like you know, the central mm-hmm. like uh, pilot th- trio, adult trio, whole dynamic going on. Mm-hmm. I feel like out of all of them, Kaji is the one that definitely, at least, he he either has his shit together or he's trying to get his shit together. Yeah, I I do think he really is sort of making that attempt of being like, you know what. I am going to do the best that I can, even if it ends with me dying. And while I'm doing the best that I can, I'm going to 
try and make amends with everybody that I wasn't on good terms with before I die. Because I, I do think, honestly, he always knew that he was going to be the person that died. Oh, yeah. I remember, like, earlier this week, I, I think I sent you the message of, like, uh, the screen the screen cap where Kaji's like, oh, I don't pick, I don't pick battles that I can't lose. And, and I yeah. told you, like, I told you, like, this absolute motherfucker is a <laughs> triple agent. And he has the gall to say this. He the knows he's going to die. Audacity. Yeah, no. I And I honestly think, I honestly think, and this is simply my onion from what, like, little amount that I know about the manga. I honestly think that he was sort of that sacrificial lamb one that needed to drive Misato to actually you know investigate <laughs> what the fuck was happening but also as sort of a sort of a, a, a making up for the fact that his brother died pretty much because of him I think it was uh, yeah. you know like now we're even now I've I've given something equal to what you gave you know, I'm, and, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I've I've never thought of I've never thought of the manga. Like I knew about Kaji's brother, but now that you said that, you you like you widened my galaxy brain because uh, because that's a really <laughs> good way to see it. Because at the end of the day, Ka- Kaji Kaji is trying to uncover things that are way beyond his control, and he keeps sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. He's just good at maneuvering through these issues and yes yeah, and i i think yeah, yeah go ahead yeah, go ahead i think it's it's uh i think it was like part i'm going to give something of equal value to what you gave and also part i have served my life's purpose in you know in service of making it up to you in service of seeking the truth and i have fulfilled that life's purpose and now i can give something of equal value which is to say you know his life yeah Uh, and honestly i think that that interpretation that you just gave serves well both if you take the manga into account and if you don't because at the end of the day kaji like everyone calls kaji a triple agent because he works for nerve sele and uh the japanese government but at the end of the day kaji works for kaji yeah i i honestly think that it it serving everyone else's interests was only in pursuit of his own because he knew that he couldn't necessarily get the access that he needed without, you know, essentially being a triple agent. And I I think that that was something that was really interesting to me always was that it never quite seemed like he was working for anybody, but Kaji, Mm -hmm. it always seemed like he was working for Kaji, even when you knew like, Oh no, he's working for nerve or, Oh no, wait, he's working for seal or Wait, he's also working for the Japanese government? Mm-hmm. But it was like, those were those weren't revelations so much as they seemed like tools to get where he needed to go. Yeah, the fact that the, the narrative of the show helps you because it's the way Kaji talks about his jobs, plural, is always very vague. Like, for example, when Misato like, puts a gun to his head and he's like, where are you going? Uh, he tells her, like, they found out about one of my side jobs. But he doesn't say which side job was found yeah. out. He doesn't say who was the one that found out what. Because to him, these are just tools. These are just, I need to know the truth, and I'm going to use everything in my power, like, available to me to find the truth. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, no, I always, I always found that something super interesting was that he never seemed particularly committed to any of those side jobs. And this kind of ties in with what I like wrote down in my notes, if I can find it, um, which is that Kaji, his life essentially revolves around the two women in it, which is to say Asuka and Misato. And anytime that he's not in frame with them, he's typically of two identities. So like yes. when he's in frame with Asuka, he's playing caregiver. When he's in frame with Misato, he's playing, you know, fuck boy boyfriend. But like fuck boy boyfriend lover. Exactly. But he's when such he's, a Bond girl. He's such a Bond girl. He really him. is. He is a Bond girl. And thank you to Q Misato for like saying that. Yes, like bringing that into existence because um, you're right and you deserve all the accolades in the world. You really do. Um, we're we're going to be referencing Kyumisato probably uh, through this because I have I, I had a lot of thoughts on Kaji and then I had more thoughts when I found like Kyumisato's essays and stuff and we're probably going to touch that here and there. Um, but definitely it comes back to what you're saying. Kaji, whenever he's on screen with one of the two women in his life, he's playing a role. Mm-hmm. And then when he's like by himself, and there are very few times where he's by himself, it's it's he he doesn't he doesn't know who to be. He doesn't have a, a fixed identity because with those two people, he has a fixed identity. He's either caretaker or he's lover. Whereas mm-hmm. when he's alone, he has a hard time juggling those identities. Um, and Q Misato said something very similar, if not exactly the same that was like you know in the in the book that came out um about like his life before like yeah. a year before end of evangelion he said something to the effect of like you know i have a hard time juggling my identities because i have so many of them and i think that it's it's in the moments where he is without the main cast that he's actually the most interesting mm-hmm. because you you see that that interior struggle Oh, definitely. What what role do you think he would have, or he does have, when he's with Shinji? Shinji, I I honestly feel like he kind of serves as a contrast to Shinji, which is okay. to say, like Shinji exists a lot in his own head. He's very introspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of Shinji's scenes are alone. And that's where we see a lot of his actual identity. That's where we see a lot of who Shinji actually is. It's when he's alone, when he's by himself, when he's just absolutely spiraling out. Whereas Kaji essentially like refuses to live in his own head. He can't mm-hmm. because he doesn't know how to exist outside of how other people perceive him. And so he he sort of he he bounces off of everybody else, and he's not alone very often. And when he's alone, you truly see that inner conflict. Whereas with Shinji, when Shinji's alone, you see like, okay, you have inner conflict, but at the very core of it, you know who you are as a person. Yeah, I think, um, man, I just Kaji Kaji as a character, especially as a male character, is very interesting to me because. I feel like even he refuses to be inside his own head, not because, not just because of the very valid reasons that you gave, but because he also recognizes that there's something bigger going on. Because we have to remember that Kaji's adolescence, if I'm not mistaken, is post-second impact. 
Yeah, because I uh, I watched the episode today where um, Asuka and Shinji didn't get to go on their little trip uh, yes, to like that... Okinawa. Go ahead. Um, and I think that's episode ten, Magma Diver. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, and. Asuka was like, well, where did you go? And he was like, I, I didn't go because it was pretty much directly after the second impact. Like, we didn't get mm-hmm. a trip. So his whole adolescence was just completely shaped by, you know, this global event that exterminated half of humanity. And um, adolescence is the single most sort of important time when it comes to identity formation. And mm-hmm. so you see that that crisis in all of the like three people in the adult trio of like, mm-hmm. I didn't form an identity during my adolescence because I had to focus on just being alive. And you see that sort of come out in different ways. And with Kaji, it's just that he literally never formed an actual like solid identity within himself. And he doesn't yeah. know how to interact with himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, Coming back to how Kaji doesn't really know how to interact with himself, I think that speaks a lot about how his relationship with Misato started in his college days. Because uh, if I'm not mistaken, when we get the flashback episode, all we know about Kaji is that you know he met Misato. They spent an entire week just fucking like bunnies. Mm-hmm. The momentum. Uh, <laughs> the stamina. The stamina. <laughs> and... Uh, we know that Misato leaves him under the pretenses that she found someone else. So Kaji having this like this dilemma of who he is, like personality-wise, must have been like enhanced by the fact that he thought that the girlfriend that he had for like two years cheated on him and left. Yeah, and yeah, I think that was, uh, yeah. Honestly, I think that was probably what really sort of pushed him towards like truth seeking because yes you know i in in his eyes i think it was you know misato had the had had the nerve to tell me the truth and i want to be as honest as i think she was even though she wasn't honest but she is later and when she mm-hmm. is later and she says no i i when i told you that there was somebody else that was a lie I just thought you were too much like my father and that scared me. He doesn't like balk at that. He doesn't say, oh, well, what the fuck? He's actually like, you know what? Okay. Because at this point in his life, you know, he's he's more focused on actually finding the truth than lies that may have happened in the past. Yeah. And the fact that after that, uh, that's the scene where Misato like starts berating herself about how she's not di- any different from mm-hmm. Shinji because blah, 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 father, father issues. And I think that's the first time we actually see who Kaji is. And it's very brief. But the fact that he automatically like wants yeah. to stop her from degrading herself the way that she is doing speaks a lot about him because at the end of the day, he does care. Yeah, I mean, like he does say in that in that book um, that Misato mentioned, who, the title of which is escaping me right now. He does I say, you know, like I'm in love with her. Yes, God, yes. I think it's the last year of Ryoji Kaji, if I'm not mistaken. You're probably right. I think it is. Um, but I mean, he does say like I'm in love with her, and I think that was a vital part of coming to his identity 
as he thinks it is, which is to say a truth teller, it was coming to terms with the fact that he had loved Misato and that he still did. And he needed to not necessarily pursue it, but acknowledge it as it existed and then maybe let it go until the point where it became exceedingly obvious that they were going to have to be in each other's lives, at which point he was like, all right, well, I'm going to do this again. <laughs> I am I am ready to get hurt again. Ooh, let's open up those wounds, baby. <laughs> Honestly. You know, it surprises me that in a lesser show with lesser characters, the male uh, the male counterpart in this relationship would probably bring up more the fact that oh, you're just comparing me to your father. Stop comparing me to your father. Kaji really never mentions Dr. Katsuragi at any moment. Because, and I feel like that has a lot to do with Kaji's wanting to have his own identity. He doesn't want to be continuously compared to anyone else. He doesn't want to think about how he may resemble other people when he hardly knows himself at this point. Yeah, and I think his his relationship with Misato after that moment is sort of emblematic of that and him, you know, accepting the fact that she said, I think you're too much like my father and him saying, okay, you know what, I respect that and I get it and I'm not mad at you. And then pretty much doing everything in his power to prove, no, I'm not. I'm going to be truthful with you. I'm going to pay attention to you. I'm going to actually care about you aside from what you can give me or what you can do for me. And mm-hmm. instead of using her as like an instrument towards his success, treating her like an actual person. Exactly. Which is why, um, which is why I always have a problem. And I'll, I'll probably touch on this when we have to talk about Misato and the future. But the first time I watched Ava, I was very, like, sh- I was very shook. If the kids still say that. About- <laughs> I was very shaken when the narrative suddenly started telling me that Misato uses men as like a coping mechanism because up until that point, I understood that the only person she ever had sex with was Kaji. Yeah. But I think that's more attributed to the way probably a mostly male staff decided to write that. Yeah. I think it's, it's dual in my brain of like, I get that it was mostly male staff, and I think that it's the easiest way to sort of qualify Misato's behavior within, you know, a hegemony that has always existed, i.e. patriarchy. But I also think that it's, it is also, to me, at least saying, you know, she uses men to, to feel better about herself not mm-hmm. just sexually, because I think she uses Shinji to that end as, you know, she she tries to, like, play house. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's not just like, oh, I'm going to use men for sex. I think it's also, I'm going to use men to fulfill roles that, you know. Societal roles, yeah. Yeah, to, to fulfill social roles that otherwise, you know, I'm expected to fulfill but can't for whatever reason. I.e., like, you know, playing mom to Shinji. You know that actually that actually ties in very well to to Kaji's like little mini speech he gives to Ritsuko at the at the bar at the wedding mm-hmm. when when Ritsuko's like oh you don't know her that you don't know her anymore even though you used to live together and Kaji says something along the lines of oh but that was just us playing house yeah it was it was always I think she she does use men but not in the sense of like 
constantly it is sexual, which I think is how yeah. most people would interpret, oh, she just uses men. I think it's more she uses men to fulfill roles that either she's scared of fully committing to, i.e. mother or wife, or mm-hmm. she uses men to resolve past trauma, i.e. using Kaji as sort of a father proxy. Yeah. Would you say, I mean, here's the thing. The thing about Misato saying that Kaji is like her father, it's not that I don't agree with it because at the end of the day, the the main problem is that we don't know a lot about Dr. Katsuragi for us to make that comparison. So we are basically just letting ourselves, we are, all of the information that we are absorbing is through Misato's point of view. We don't know who Dr. Katsuragi was. All we know was that he was an attentive but mm-hmm. he risked his life to save his daughter. Yeah. And just with the fact of him not being attentive to me, at least, it automatically kind of disqualifies the Kaji uh, mirror. I because think, hmm. uh, I, no, I was just going to add, yeah, I, I really do think Kaji is the most perception perceptive sorry out of the bunch. I definitely think he is, but I honestly think that it wouldn't have mattered who it was that Misato dated during her college years, she would have compared them to her father. She would have projected that identity onto them, even if they didn't fulfill it. Because she 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 was just she was searching for some way to resolve that trauma. And she just she it was gonna be anybody. I honestly don't think it would have mattered if it was Kaji, if it was Ritsuko, if it was any of her other classmates who I'm we never get to see or mention. Like I I, I honestly think it wouldn't have mattered who it was because she would have done the same thing. She would have gotten into a committed relationship, been terrified at the prospect, realized that, you know, human intimacy is uh, an absolutely horrifying prospect for her. (laughs) And she would have been like, no, you're too much like my dad. Yeah. And it didn't, it it honestly wouldn't have mattered if they were or not. I I remember, uh, a tweet Kyu Misato put the other day that made me laugh so hard where it was like, Misato's just doing an episode of Mori where oh everyone's my God. the dad, but at the end of the day, <laughs> she's her dad. <laughs> yeah, honestly. That I, uh, made me laugh so hard. I love that tweet. Because it, but because it's in the end, it's the truth. Like She tries mm-hmm. to assign that identity to everyone else. And I have something about this that I actually wrote down today, if I can find it real quick, which is that, like, Misato, in episode nine, the one where at the, like, the very end, it's after the Shinji Asuka dance-off. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Battle dance-off, it's both. Exactly. But at the very end, Misato and Ritsuko are talking. And Ritsuko is asking, like, about, you know, hey, are you upset over, you know, lack of sleep or a man or something to that effect? And Misato's like, no, it was all, like, young and foolish. It's my biggest regret. But in that moment, I recognize that wasn't her. She wasn't talking about herself. She is projecting that legacy onto him and and deflecting and saying that he was young and foolish to get in a relationship with her, not the other way around, and that she was the one being the jerk. She's terrified that he regrets being with her. And then at the very end, I'm like writing all of this frantically because I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then at the very end, 
Ritsuko goes out of her way to be the best woman she could be and confirm this for me because she says, actually, I wasn't asking about you. I was asking yeah. about Kaji. And I was like, yes, yes, we've done it. And then, like, at the very end, she's still, you know, doing that sort of projection. And she just says he hasn't grown up at all. And the fact is, is that Kaji has. And we see that progress. It's Misato who hasn't grown up at all. Yep. And so it's like she she projects that, that she projects herself onto him. She projects all of her perceived flaws onto him because she sees herself as too much like her father. And Kaji's the only person who she is intimate enough with to, to say those words to, to like to say those words and to be afraid of that happening because she's mm -hmm. not afraid that you know kaji was the biggest mistake of her life she's more afraid that you know she completely fucked it up yeah i i completely 110 percent agree uh i want to go back to episode nine because i love that the first time we see kaji in this episode he's just like flirting relentlessly with ritsuko I love that. Just, just to get a rise out of Misato. I and know. Ritsuko, because I, my favorite thing is that Ritsuko plays along. My Yeah, no, because I definitely got the vibe from that was like, like Ritsuko was in on it. Like th this yeah. was something that they'd been doing like since college where like Kaji will be like, oh, I want to make Misato jealous or I want to push Misato's buttons. And Ritsuko is like hella into that. She loves pushing Misato's buttons. And so she's like, hell yeah, you can fucking come and like hug me from the back and kind of touch a titty. Why not? <laughs> she's right there. I love that. Remember to comment on my beautiful like beauty mark. Remember, remember yeah. to do that. Like touch it gently, speak poetry about it. <laughs> yeah, I I love that so much because I think it's it's very sort of emblematic of the relationship that Kaji and Ritsuko have, which is just that I think that they are like best fucking buds. I think yeah. they are so fucking funny together. And I think that Ritsuko is also just like so worried about him. And that kind of warms my heart because I, you know, I, I like seeing someone be visibly worried for Kaji and saying, you know, yeah. like, you should be careful because, I mean, she says as much, like, you're you're digging into things that are dangerous. You need to be careful. It's like Misato has all of those thoughts, but she never says them because she's terrified of intimacy. But mm -hmm. Ritsuko's like, no, like, this is one of my close friends and his safety and his well-being are important to me. And so, she, like, she will pull him to the side and say, you know, like, please be careful. You're, like, digging into stuff that is really, really dangerous. And, you know, now that you mentioned that, I feel like... Um... Yes, it is really nice to see someone do that for Kaji. But I also think we have to take into account that Kaji is always aware that they're that the walls have eyes. True. Um, no, but but it's like you said, it's it's just nice getting that visual verbal confirmation of someone caring for Kaji because up until now, Kaji has down has done most of the caring. Yeah, and I mean we don't we don't honestly see like. Misato say, you know, like <laughs> I love that dude until after he's dead, which is what I expected, but is also I think a little bit disappointing for me. But I get why it happened. Hey, 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 for us. Fair. You know what? Fair <laughs> for us. For us. 
But I also, I get it because that needed to be the drive of like, okay, mm -hmm. all the things that I never said to him, all the concern I never expressed, all the love that I never gave, I now have to pour mm -hmm. into fulfilling his legacy. And I thought that was, that yeah, was into, into finishing his work at the end of the day, because Kaji is the one who sets her up to be like, you got to find out the truth. The truth, the, his, the last line, one, one of the last lines he ever says to her is the truth is with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's like, I, I think very early on, Kaji knew he was going to die. And that's why yeah. very early on, he sort of started planting the seeds outside of, you know, wanting his work to be carried on. I think he wanted it to be Misato because he wanted someone to finally, you know, show her objective truth. And I think he knew that he would have had to die to, to get there. Yeah. It, it, it's how he just views, he knows that there are bigger things going on than whatever is going on in his own head, which I feel like separates him a lot from the other characters because he's so preoccupied and he's so worried about finding the truth about what the angels are, what the Avas are. And just all this back and forth that at the end of the day, he dies for it. He dies for his life's work. Yeah, but Kaji wasn't just only that, and that's where the watermelon patch comes into it. Yeah, and I think it was it was Q Misato who said she she tweeted something along the lines of like, "I love that Misato just didn't do any of the shit that Kaji <laughs> asked her to do after he died." I was yeah. like, "Yeah, you know what? She fucking didn't, didn't she?" Yeah. But I I love that. I love that it was like this you know what yeah i'm gonna do what you want and that i'm gonna seek the truth but you know what all that other bullshit that can wait that can wait for me those watermelons are rotting okay they like, are it's, honestly it's the end of the world. we ain't got we ain't got time for that it's fine like Shinji, yeah Shinji knows where they are but he's not mentally capable to tell me right now it's fine it's Shinji fine. can the barely speak yeah Shinji can barely speak at that point, and so I do not like. I do not entertain the idea that even if Misato had asked him, "Hey, where's the watermelon patch?" that he would have told her. <laughs> but like, it's 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 honestly hilarious that she was just like, "Actually, fuck what you asked for. I'm gonna go do this other thing first. But I will find out the truth. Don't you worry about that. It's it's actually gonna consume me to the point where I'm just gonna stop drinking beer." Yeah, I'm gonna stop that, like that swap off where she starts drinking coffee. Coffee is all that goes inside this body now. Um, but you know what? Now that I'm thinking about um Kaji's last message, there's there's two notable things that stand out to me in that last message. Um, the first one is how he doesn't mention Asuka at any point in that message. And yeah, me, no, he really does not. Yeah, that kind of breaks my heart. Because <laughs> he, he doesn't even say, like, you know, look out for her. Yeah. Which is the bare minimum he could have said, honestly. Yeah, but I think he also... I have a lot of my own thoughts about how Asuka intentionally alienates herself from the Misato Shinji family unit. Oh, which are, definitely. like, definitely for, like, a longer sort of analysis. But I, I think that... <sighs> I, I don't know I what I'm going to do when 
when it's yeah. time to like talk about the main tree pilots because they all deserve like five episodes. Right. But I, I yeah. think that Kaji honestly knew that Asuka would be taken care of regardless, whether it was by Misato or someone else. But I also think that he knows that in her own way, she is self-sufficient. That she can I, handle herself. But also it would have been nice to have, you know, somebody be like, hey, can you please care for that emotionally volatile young child? Exactly. exactly. That's what I was getting to because um, Kaji also knows from firsthand experience that, yes, Asuka is pretty independent in and of herself, but she's still a kid. He knows that better than anyone mm-hmm. else because there's this implication that Kaji was hit her, imme- her immediate caretaker after her mom died, if I'm not mistaken. It, like, it's implied. It's never confirmed or anything. So you can't tell me, and by you, I don't mean you, I mean, like, people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can't tell me that Kaji didn't care about Asuka, at least in the most basic sense of, I don't want anything to happen to this child. When yeah. he spends so much time, like in episode nine, when she defeats the angel with Shinji, there's like pride blooming on his face. Mm-hmm. He is, he is very, very like ecstatic. And he, I honestly do think that Kaji loves her, not in like a weird, creepy way, but I honestly do think that he cares about her very deeply. And I yeah, think yeah. that I wish that that bond had been explored more outside mm-hmm. of just Asuka having a crush on this older dude. Mm hmm. Because I think it, it would be really interesting to sort of watch her assume him as a father figure. Because, honest to God, that's all anybody ever does with Kaji is, oh, you're my dad now. Whether it's, like, Shinji or it's Asuka or it's Misato, it Kaji's just, he's just, he's just big daddy Kaji for everyone, apparently. <laughs> I was going to call him daddy, but you beat me to it. <laughs> No, but no, I, I do honestly think that, but that role creates such a like a conflict inside of him of like, okay, well, mm-hmm. I can either I can either serve myself and find the truth, or I can leave it and help these kids. And I think that he eventually settles on a compromise of being like, no, finding the truth is going to help these kids, and that is the best way that I can fulfill my role with them. Exactly. I just, man. Kaji, I feel like Kaji is a character that as soon as we end this episode, I'm going to be like, oh, wait, and another thing. Because <laughs> at the surface, he seems pretty normal. You know, he's a dude. He's working for many people, but mostly he's working for himself. He has a thing with Misato. It's hot. Then he gets shot. Okay, that's like the most basic thing you can say about Kaji. And as I was researching for this uh, podcast episode, I saw one of those bad video essays. I'm not going to mention which one because, you know, I don't want to call anyone out either. But (laughs) I I saw a really bad video essay on Kaji where instead of going in a deep dive of who exactly he was, they just talked about Kaji by name and what his relationship to the other characters was. And that's it. They didn't go any deeper than that. They didn't explore his duality. They didn't explore, like why exactly he is the way he is. And I was just like, you can't just look at a character like Kaji and just assume that what you see surface level is all there is to there. That's what makes him interesting. There's so much more to dig underneath that. But that's also like one of the main implications of Kaji's character is that like, you shouldn't take who he is at face value. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. believe him when he says, Oh, I am this. 
which is like one of my favorite things in, I mean, we're still in like episode nine, but when he, when he and Misto come out of the elevator, um, yeah, when he and Misto come out of the elevator, he like asks her like, which should I believe your lips or your words, which if face value is like, oh, you're trying to be sexy. But like, when you look deeper at it, it's it's asking like, are you telling me the truth? Are you are, are you who you say you are? Should you believe me when I say I am who I say I am? Mm-hmm. He's he's asking, you know, be be more introspective and look into me more because I am not just who I am presenting to you. I am a person deeper than that. In in more than just like, oh, I want to know you. Um, but then like he he bows to her in this sort of deferential way as if to say, you know, you win because you're more honest with yourself than I am. And she is furious because she, she doesn't understand because she knows that he's asking, like, do you understand who I am? And her answer is no. She barely understands herself. What's she going to do? Understand another person? Precisely. Honestly. (laughs) Like, she, she's still figuring out Misato. She doesn't have time to figure out other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, uh... There's just, there's so much about that scene that really sort of strikes me as more... Int- I mean, at face value, yes, very, very sexy. Make out in the elevator, have a great time. But, like, there's there's so have many more <laughs> implications to the conversation that they have afterwards that I that I oh, find yeah. just so interesting. The way Misato and Kaji communicate changes throughout the series because you can definitely tell that it was more murky gray waters at the beginning. But by the end, when we're in episode, like, I want to say 18, 19-ish, mm-hmm. where, uh, where Misato and Kaji are having, like, an open conversation by the cafeteria area of Nerve or something, they position their bodies in a way that if anyone were to walk in, it looks like they're flirting. Which yeah. I assume is what people at Nerve are coming to expect from them. But they're actually talking about, like, Sele and Nerve and a lot of things that could get them fired. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like that that off-putting, like, we're talking about stuff that doesn't concern you, but would also embarrass the shit out of you, so stay away from us. But exactly. I think he does become more transparent with her as, you know, it wears on. because when they have the power outage in episode 11, he is in the elevator with her and she is like freaking out and he reveals his hand. He's the first person in the whole episode to say it's a power outage. Yep. He is, he is like making eye contact with her and saying, you know, this is a power outage. I want you to understand what I'm saying to you. This is a power outage. Misato. And she's just like, Okay. <laughs> no, no, I love no, I love the idea first. That's like, oh, I think it's a power outage, and Misato's like, no, no, that was probably Ritsuko doing something. Like that's it's her fault always, and it immediately cuts to, to she's like, like, it's not me. <laughs> it's not me. It wasn't. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Yeah. No, I um, I think that that was sort of when that was the point where everything that Kaji to said to her mm. became more open not open in that it it wasn't 
that it was clear, but open and that he was trying to tell her exactly what his intentions were because exactly, it's, yeah. it's him saying, you know, Oh, it's a power outage. I mean, HQ is never sabotaged by the angels. It's only sabotaged by man. And Kaji is mm-hmm. the first man to do it. And he mm-hmm. sort of says, you know, I am here to sabotage this, et cetera, et cetera. You need to be prepared for the contingency that other people, i.e. Seal and End of Evangelion, are going to come and sabotage your shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember the exact reason as to why the power outage happened in that episode. That's the episode that was like animated by Studio Ghibli and everyone looks a little bit weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it is. Um, because <laughs> I remember watching it and being like, this this is interesting. Okay. There's something different. I can't really put my finger on it. Everyone looks sharper. The hairs are glossier. True, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, that that episode is very interesting because it's it, it's, how, it, it's how you said it. it's him playing his cards and showing them to Misato because he, he wants to communicate her in of what he's doing in a way that doesn't inherently like make her a a part of it yeah sorry my my spanish is creeping into my brain i I can't worry (laughs) (laughs) no worries but yeah i think at that point he really is just kind of trying he's he's feeling her out he's saying you know are you are you gonna wrap me out like is this Mm -hmm. going to be something that i have to worry about are you going to betray me and she is like, no, I think I'm good, actually, because I think mm-hmm. after a certain point, she's also like, you know what? These people are not. There is something wrong here that I can't put my finger on, but I know that they- it's not going to serve me in the end. I feel like Misato always knows that there's something deeper going on with Nerf, but at the beginning, she just she didn't think about it that much because at the beginning nerf just served a purpose i have to defeat the angels because that's my revenge for my father then it becomes mm-hmm. i have to defeat this because i have to defeat my it's always about her dad so always always so, so when when kaji actually like nudges in and he's like no like stop thinking about your dad for a second there's actually something way deeper going on maybe the reason your dad died wasn't justified which is a whole other pot because then you know the implications of the second impact being deliberate and all that jazz and maybe misato's dad and the entire team died in vain yada 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 all that jazz but it definitely is also super interesting yeah i think it's also super interesting that towards after sort of that that time where Ritsuko says like you're you're messing with stuff that's you know beyond you you need to be careful they don't really interact after that and my my hypothesis is that's because Ritsuko is staunchly on Nerve's side until the very very end Mm -hmm. when she tries to kill when she tries to kill Gendo and that is the point where she turns that is the point where she like is no longer in allegiance with Nerve and I like, would say I, I would say a little bit before, but just a little bit when she destroys the ray clones. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're probably right. I actually I kind of read that as more sort of self-serving rather than oh, I, I'm no longer but, aligned. But I feel like you can read it both ways because the ray. I, okay, the lore of the show always confuses me because it, it goes by so fast. But it really from, does. From what I understand. 
the Ray clones are part of the dummy plug system, which mm-hmm. the Avas need because if Gendo gets just tired of the pilots, he can just replace them with the dummy plug system. So in a way, even if Ritsuko didn't um, realize it at the time, in a way she was rebelling against Nerve. Because yeah, by yeah, destroying yeah. those clones, also- yeah, she destroys the dummy plug system, which which helped no one. That's, Honestly, yeah. and that's that's why I think yes, it is sort of her like start of her turning of like her turning exactly. of the allegiance. But at that point, that specific action was incredibly sort of self-involved. That wasn't about oh, like fuck nerve. I'm like they're doing horrible things. They're trying to bring about the third impact. That was more I am jealous and I am angry. And I am betrayed, and I want mm-hmm. to take that out on the only sort of person or thing that I can think of that makes sense. Yeah, which the closest is, proxy to that, which is this child. Uh, and I mean, it's all it's all about Yui, and but that's that's for a later that's really, date. That's for the Ritsuko episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going through my notes here because I did my notes through episode. And I think we went, like, we definitely have gotten through episodes 10 to 16 already. Um, I like the instances where we see Kaji interact, like, head on with Gendo. Because, okay, I don't like, I don't like Gendo. I haven't made that a secret. Like, Gendo's just that one character that I'm, I'm never gonna turn my head. Like he's interesting, but he's not likable. You know that's nope. fine, whatever. But the thing about Kaji interacting with Gendo is that Kaji is the most sh- like he always has the most shit eating grin. He really does when, he, when he's talking to Gendo. Like Kaji, it, it's it's as if Kaji also can't stand him in a way. I honestly think Kaji can't. And this kind of goes back to one of the points that Cube Misato made, which was that they are complete opposites when it comes to the representations of masculinity, which is to say oh, that, yeah. like, Gendo is, like, like strongly, traditionally masculine and is literally willing to do anything but die for anyone mm-hmm. else besides himself or, you know, the woman that he's put on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And Kaji is like, no, I like to garden. I just, uh, I, like- I just like to garden. And he takes on such a, a, a more gentle, caretaking sort mm-hmm. of. I hate this term, but it's the one that fits, which is to say, like a more traditionally feminine role within yeah. masculinity. I think the key the key word there is traditionally because you know times change people change etc. the the gen the roles aren't as strict as they were back in 1995 I believe was when this show was written. I believe, so. but I, I I I do understand what you say because I usually don't like using those either. But at least for this piece of media, I feel like it's fair that we use these terms because that's how interesting is his contrast with Gendo and his contrast with Misato. Because Misato doesn't like is also does. extremely like sort of traditionally masculine within her yes. sort of like parenting quote unquote style. Exactly, exactly. He, the thing about um, 
I was going to come back to the to Kaji interacting with Gendo. And it's just, it's amazing how Kaji can just insult him in between the lines. Like, oh, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Oh, Sele's not going to like that. Oh, like he was so close to just being like, you done fucked up, man. You, you you really fucked this one. You, you like letting letting unit one go berserk and eating that angel. That was a bad move. Sally's not gonna like that. Yeah, I I think that it's it's so interesting that Gendo will just let him. And I think it's yeah, because honestly, Gendo like that, right? Gendo does not see him as a threat. Mm-hmm. Gendo is just kind of like this is just some dude, and I'm gonna let him talk his shit. And at the end of the day, he's just gonna die like the rest of us. And I honestly think that Gendo just doesn't doesn't understand the like I mean like most people doesn't understand that Kaji is way more than just some annoying little bug flying around their head saying bullshit. Yeah. And, and that's and it's amazing because like when Kaji gives him the atom sample, he's all smug. When Kaji tells him like about the unit one going berserk, he's all smug. Every mm-hmm. every interaction he has with them, it, he has with Gendo specifically, is very smug. And I say Gendo specifically because when he has his limited interactions with uh, Fuyutsuki, there's like a ne- there's like the vaguest level of respect for Fuyutsuki. There's, there's a slight deference. Almost. There's like, you yeah. know what? I respect your authority because you're not fucking unhinged. But I also think that's because <laughs> Kaji's like, yeah, I know all this shit about Gendo because I know about, you know, the human instrumentality project. I know what the Evas actually are. I know what the angels are looking for. I know all of the mm-hmm. stuff about Gendo, but he doesn't know. Whereas like Fuyutsuki is not necessarily so. Uh, involved. He's not a. He, yeah, it, it's like you said, like I love the word. I love that you use the word unhinged because at the end of the day, yeah, that's what separates Gendo and Fuyutsuki because it's very easy to look at these two figureheads and kind of lump them together because most of their screen time is together. But but honestly, they're so different. They're very different, and I, I'll I'll probably have a Fuyutsuki episode at some point, and I do consider him very interesting. I just don't know whether I like him or not. But you can definitely see the difference in how he treats the pilots when he's alone and when he's in the presence of Commander Ikari. Because in episode nine, uh, the episode where you know dance like like you want to win, mm-hmm. when Asuka and Shinji make a mess out of themselves oh and fall completely, and they're like screaming in the room, they're like, "No, it's your fault! No, it's your fault!" And Kaji's like looking at them, like, ah, oh, these kids and their and and their Avas, you know. Yeah. Fuyutsuki is there, just like the embarrassed grandpa. He's like, I can't believe we let these kids pilot these deadly Avas. This yeah, is a no, bad idea. <laughs> it is so funny to see how differently they interact with the pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think it's like, on the one hand, it's like Gendo is very sort of, he's he's very goal-focused with them. He's very much yep. like, they are here to serve a purpose. Whereas Fuyutsuki almost sees them as people. Almost. But only insofar as they serve him. 
Which, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not as if they're like either of them are good guys. I wouldn't necessarily qualify no, no, either no. as like great people, but I think that Fiyutsuki by himself is a lot more interesting than Fiyutsuki by with with Gendo by a long shot. Oh yeah. And an episode twenty one where everything kind of culminates, and it's an episode almost entirely focused on all the adult characters in the show. It, it really encapsulates that because half of the episode you spend it with Fuyutsuki, and you get to see through his eyes how Gehern became Nerf, and how these whack job group of scientists were just like, "What if we mixed biology with computers?" Oh boy, that's never turned bad before ever, right? right? I think there are a lot of parallels between sort of the pilots and then the adult trio and then like Gendo, Yui, and Fiyutsuki. I think that they each have sort of their own archetype that they fit into. Oh, yeah. And I, th- I honestly, I think Fiyutsuki and Kaji are just extremely similar in a lot of ways that like are fundamental, but they separate when it comes to like life purpose because mm-hmm. whereas like Kaji's purpose is to find the truth which is a purpose that he came to in college or in like early adulthood then like Fuski his whole purpose is essentially just control and that's where they yeah. sort of diverge from one another in adulthood, but I think at their cores, they're they sort of fulfill that same all-knowing smug guy archetype. Yeah, that is extremely conflicted about every single one of their life choices. And when you mirror that with how Fuyutsuki and Gendo interact, and with how Kaji and Gendo interact, it just makes it like ten times more interesting. Because w- whenever Kaji is like very smug towards Gendo, Fuyutsuki seems like entertained. He, yeah. He's like, he's like, ah, oh, this, this guy, this guy, <laughs> this motherfucking guy. Yeah, <laughs> he reminds me of me of that age. Honestly, a little bit, probably a, a little bit. I'm not going to say that I'm going to rule out the possibility. <laughs> but he's never, he's never like Fuyutsuki. Definitely doesn't underestimate Kaji either, because. Kaji, Gendo doesn't see Kaji as a threat, but Fuyutsuki definitely keeps an eye on him. And it's very, very it's very subtle, but anytime, a- anytime there's like a moment where Kaji is giving information, Fuyutsuki is just like very intently focused because Fuyutsuki's a smart guy. He probably has to be thinking, where did you get that information? Yeah, we didn't, we didn't know that. Give you that. Where yeah. did you get that? Yeah, I think they're just they're very interesting characters. I I really like them. I don't necessarily like Fuitsuki insofar as calling him like a good person, but I feel the same mm-hmm. way about Yui, which is to say that I think that they're interesting and worth sort of investigating and, you know, thinking about, but not that I think that they are necessarily good, quote unquote. If you can call anyone in Evangelion wholly good. Which I don't necessarily think that you can. How dare you? Hikari is right there. 
How dare I take, you? I take I take that back. He could is a good girl. <laughs> yeah, because like that that's the most interesting thing about Ava, that you can just look at all these characters and you can't really pinpoint whether they're good or bad people. They're just people. There's people. Because even Maya has her little gray areas. Like as much as we kid that she's she's like the sweetest, like even she has her gray areas because there's at some point where she also kind of views the pilots as extendable. She definitely cares more than the other bridge bunnies, for example. But hey, uh, hey, hey. In this house we love and respect Aoba, all right? <laughs> I I don't feel about Aoba in, in like any particular way. I, I think he's cute. I like his long hair. I like that he likes to play the guitar. This is controversial, but I think he looks like Matthew Mercer. I have um, to look that up because that name sounds familiar, <laughs> but my, my monkey brain. Let me see. He uh he looks like Matthew Mercer. Oh my god. <laughs> and I like as much as I may not like it that sort of breed of white man really just kind of does it. <laughs> I'm gonna die. Okay. I can try and deny it about myself all I want, but I can't escape it. You oh, oh you you are screwed, buddy. This is this is recorded. <laughs> you can't go back now. Oh my god. Yeah, he does look like he does look like this guy. It's weird. Um Oh, what, what was I anyway, saying? We're talking yeah, about I, Kaji. Uh, Kaji, okay. Let's see. What haven't we I said think, about Kaji yeah. yet? God, I Kaji. think he's, he's one of the most interesting characters where you kind of know for a fact that he's not necessarily a good guy, but that he is trying his best to align himself with the truth. Yes. And I think that that's really interesting in that, you know, he's going to do all of this kind of horrible, underhanded shit to get to that point. But his personality is very much, you know, the ends justify the means. And I think that that's, that's the most interesting bit. Yeah, I, I like that his, his moral, you can't really place a color on his moral compass. Uh, he's, again, Kaji works for Kaji. I think that's the best encapsulation of his mm-hmm. whole character. Because at the end of the day, he just wants to find out the truth about this event that drastically altered his life. Because I feel I feel like a lot of people forget that the fact that the second impact, especially for the adult trio, the second impact completely changed their lives. I mean, because like the pilot trio were born into a post second impact world. Yeah. They didn't necessarily have to experience it. The world that they, you know, grew up knowing was just kind of what it was. They didn't know what the world was beforehand. They are not used to the idea that there used to be literally twice as many people on the globe as there are now. Mm-hmm. That there wasn't a, a big fucking crater in Antarctica. Like to them, that's always been there. But uh, for Ritsuko, Misato, and Kaji, that was a big life change, especially when you're 14 and everything is more complicated and you have all these feelings. Right? Yeah. No. And to have something that big happen to you, like, it definitely must have an impact on on your personality, whether it is on a small scale like Kaji, who we can probably assume, and again, this is me not reading the manga, we can probably assume was not involved with Nerve or Gehern or Sele in any way, the same way that Ritsuko and Misato are. Because Ritsuko and Misato, like, 
it, it's all nepotism, baby. Like, yeah, it's it's uh, it's nepotism all the way down. Yeah, <laughs> but Kaji, I can probably like we can probably assume that out of the three of them, Kaji's the one who who got there out of legit hard work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, of course, I'm not downplaying Misato or Ritsuko's, you know, contributions. Yeah, I mean, like, to, they're to smart, them. but they were pretty much already guaranteed a spot based on exactly on, on their, you know, last their parents' name work. Alone. Yeah. Yeah. But but Kaji's the one who like worked his way up. Yeah, and I think that, you know, considering the second impact as like a a huge event in the lives of all three trios, whether it's the pilots, the adults, or we're gonna call them the grandparents, um (laughs) it's like for the pilots that's the past. For the adults that's the future and for the for the adults that's the present and then for the grandparents that's the future because you know it if we're considering them each at the same age when the pilots are 14 that's way in the past that's nothing that they really have to deal with or concern themselves about if they They were were regular teenagers yeah if they were regular teenagers they wouldn't really have to give a shit insofar as they pass their history tests obviously they're the pilots so they have to give a little bit more of a shit because it has to do with Mm -hmm. you know angels and everything about that but for the adult trio that's like the present they are still living it they are still living with the trauma of it because it came Mm -hmm. at such a formative period during their lives and then for the grandparents it's like that is when when they're 14 like that's the future they have absolutely no concept yeah. that it was going to happen that it would have ever happened and then it came to the point where they caused it to happen mm-hmm. so yeah no you you pretty much hit the nail on the coffin because uh, again this is the this is probably the thing that and i'm and we're strictly talking anime wise we're not taking into account the manga again i want to make oh, that yeah. very clear i have um, no experience with the manga whatsoever so if i'm saying some bullshit please correct me uh but I, what we're taking is strictly from the man uh, the anime because you know that's like i don't want to say the main source but it's the main source i mean it is to be honest it was the first one the manga didn't come until after the anime if i'm not mistaken so yeah i I think it came out in like 2001 i believe um but yeah that like their whole lives experience are shaped around not only the second impact but like the consequences of it because like yes ritsuko's mom didn't die because of the second impact but like her death death basically comes because she joined Gehern and for some reason she fell in love with Gendo which I still don't understand just astonishing honestly astonishing Uh, but you know it's it's the consequences of everything because everything is like it's a domino effect one thing leads everything happens because of that and and Kaji's the only one who actually was like, no, wait, there has to be more to this. People yeah. don't, like, half of your population doesn't just die because of a meteor hitting, uh, yeah. hitting the Earth. Antarctica, that doesn't just happen. Yeah. And I think that that is where also it comes into, you know, I'm going to spend my life in search of the truth. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I don't there has to be more to it than this. And I honestly think that even if it had turned out to be, you know, something innocuous, even if the second impact hadn't been caused by humans, Kaji wouldn't have believed it. I think he would have continued to search. Honestly, 
if the whole thing hadn't already been essentially one big conspiracy theory and everything had just been normal and it had just been a meteorite, I think Kaji would have become a conspiracy theorist. Oh my god, with his little tinfoil hat. Uh-huh. I think hiding, he would have just lived his ponytail. <laughs> I think the rest of his life he would have just kind of spent in obscurity like posting on the internet about how you know nerve is like the illuminati or some shit yeah i i mean have you seen their logo it's weird right (laughs) (laughs) the same logo is weird it's like six eyes (laughs) yeah no i i honestly think he would have just ended up a conspiracy theorist and oh i completely agree yeah definitely honestly i think he's just he's just such an interesting character and i i wish that we got to delve more into it in the actual show instead of just sort of in the supplemental materials mm-hmm. because you know i i wish there was more depth to it but that also branches into me being like we deserve a show about the adults which <laughs> you know we do we do perhaps perhaps we do but also nah, i don't uh I don't know how much I want to hurt myself. I, I guess it all comes down to like how exactly they handle it. Cause like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see how Ritsuko's quote unquote relationship with Gendo started. Mm. Like that mm. still, that still doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I'll probably get to it eventually when we talk about Ritsuko, but I spent the entire anime thinking Ritsuko was a lesbian who had a crush on Misato. And that's why she was kind of side-eyeing Kaji from time to time. But then, like, in episode 20 or 21, I think, is where they hit you with the... Oh, I was in love with Gendo. And I was like, what? What? (laughs) You're gay. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were a lesbian. What happened? Honestly, yeah. I was like, wait, no, wait a second. I thought you were a lesbian. And then from that moment on, I was like, I was galaxy braining my way back through the series being like, at what point was I supposed to infer that Ritsuko was in love with Gendo? Like, where was I supposed to pull that from? Because this all just, this doesn't seem like anything. I remember pausing the episode and turning to my boyfriend who was watching it with me at the time and just being like, did you know about this? And he was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no. It, I remember it just, being taking like, poof, like it hit me in the face. And I, the only thing that they give you a clue on, which honestly you wouldn't notice it until you knowing this piece of information and looking back, is the fact that Ritsuko doesn't wear makeup when Gendo's not around. That's it. Oh yeah, I saw. I think it was Kumisato still that that mentioned that she was like, yeah, the only time that Ritsuko's not wearing lipstick is when Gendo's not around. And I was like huh i guess hmm. <laughs> hmm. okay i mean yeah i, I remember just, hearing it, about it i have pushed that so far to the back of my mind because i i just i cannot imagine what it is like to date both a woman and her daughter exactly exactly that was the thing that i was also like complaining to my best friend about because she saw the series before i did and i was like it doesn't make any sense that Ritsuko would start a physical relationship with Gendo when she witnessed firsthand that her mother having a relationship with him. Not only that, the sort of literal physical, emotional wreckage that left based on, like, Naoko's relationship with Gendo. Like, (sighs) it, 
it is so it, I love Ritsuko. I cannot talk about this for very long because I will just start talking about yeah, Ritsuko yeah. and we're yeah, going to end same, up with same. like an episode that just talks about Kaji and Ritsuko. But um, yeah, it's just, it's so odd to me that at some point during the show I was supposed to be like, oh yeah, she likes Gendo. The whole time I was like, oh no, like she's she's kind of secretly like still in love with Misato and then she meets Maya yeah. and then starts moving on and I was like yeah this makes sense to me and then they were like Gendo and I was like what the fuck no great minds think alike you see you see because that was also my thought process and it, it completed me it completely threw me off the curve when she was like I, I no longer feel pleasure when you make love to me and I'm, and I'm like wait huh? can you Put put some more wine on that. I think I missed something. Give me a second. I, f- I feel like I blacked out there for a second. Can you repeat that? But yeah, I um, but I also I just love her relationship with Kaji. They seem like yes. they would be so entertaining to just like put in a room together that they would just banter back and forth. In they in would college, have the greatest roast roasting session. I true feel in my heart. True, I mean, I, just gets roasted all the time in college. I, I have this this timeline in my head of sort of the the adult trio like relationship timeline, which is that Misato and Kaji dated for the two years. They broke up. Misato started fucking around with Ritsuko a little bit. Ritsuko was like, I am in love with you. And Misato was like, hell no to the no no. And then she, like, they not necessarily go their separate ways because they're obviously still friends and have been, but Misato was like, we're not going to be involved anymore. And then they just continue along. Ritsuko's still in love with her despite knowing that it's a horrible idea. And then, you know, Kaji comes back and Misato starts getting sort of that that the f- the, fil- the, <laughs> the fulfillment, like the sort of apex of that relationship, reaching the point where everything sort of becomes closure. And Ritsuko's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. And then starts moving on and dates Maya and everyone's happy and it's great. But I like and- I, I want to devote some actual attention to that timeline. So I'm probably gonna write about it eventually. <laughs> And then you'll send it to me, and then we'll both squeal. It's gonna be great. It's gonna exactly. be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, because like at the end of the day, I really do wish we had more of them as a as a trio. Because the moments that we do get of all three of them together are so thoroughly entertaining. It really and is interesting, and that's something that's horribly missing from the rebuilds too. Fair warning. Yeah, it's uh, like the. The rebuilds barely have Kaji. They barely disappointing, have... but I can live. Yeah, I, I have a lot of complicated feelings with the rebuilds because my general feelings is it's fine, and that's it. That's like my general feelings for the rebuilds. It's like it's 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 fine. It's okay. It's pretty. It's very pretty. It is pretty. It is very pretty. I do like the animation quite a bit. I feel like it's very clean and very sort of satisfying to look at. But um, yeah, I I have a lot of feelings about how they interact as a trio because I feel like they interact in the same way that the pilots interact, which is to say that a lot of times they split off into groups of two. Yeah, but I would Whereas, I would even say that the the main difference between the adult trio and the pilot trio is that the adult trio works no matter how you divide it. Like whether it's Ritsuko with Kaji, Kaji with Misato, Misato with Ritsuko, 
mm-hmm. um, like they all work. My problem with the pilot trio is that they they don't work as well when you put them in twos because they're interesting, but they don't work. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. I like I made a I made a note about it where it was like they don't they don't work as a trio very often. So like Asuka and Shinji work together for like the dance. They they fight alongside each other and then you know Ray and Shinji work as a team when they're trying to snipe at the best girl big pyramid angel. Um, <laughs> but they don't work as a trio very well in terms mm-hmm. of like literally like working as a job together. Yeah. And, and that I think does that have to do a lot with the fact that, you know, Asuka grows a sort of resentment towards Ray. Which honestly, is unfortunate I, and sad. I think Ray grows a little bit resentful of Asuka. I think that they just can't communicate with each other and that creates more distance than it should have. But I wouldn't necessarily say that she resents Asuka, but she doesn't understand Asuka, which I think is the main difference because you have to remember that Ray's interactions with other female characters are mostly very strictly professional. Yeah. And what she doesn't have there is her classmates and she barely goes to school anyways. True. So to see Asuka, who's so loud and so abrasive and so aggressive and so like colorful in this world of people who are very prim and proper has to shake her in a way. Maybe not physically, yeah. we don't we never see it, but it it definitely probably has something to do with the fact with how she views everything. Which it but they still have the core problem where they can't communicate among themselves because Asuka Asuka is so head-on focused on people liking her and perceiving her a certain way that when Ray says, like, I'll be your friend if I have to, she takes it way more personally than it was supposed to be. Yeah, that's just how Ray knows how to interact with people. She knows how to take orders and assumes that, you know, I think I said something on Twitter about this, assumes that, you know, relationships are transactional. If you're nice to someone in return, they will be kind to you or they won't hurt you. And so Ray's like, yeah, I mean, if if you want me to, I will. And Asuka's like, oh, what the fuck? What do you mean you don't want to be my friend? And I don't necessarily think that that was the intention. I think that it's just Ray not necessarily realizing that Asuka's intentions in being her friend were not to get something from her, so much mm-hmm. as saying, like, we have to work together. We should be friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, it, it, it all comes down to the miscommunication between them because Asuka is a person who greatly respects and admires people who can like take charge of themselves and unfortunately that's just something Ray doesn't have she doesn't have she doesn't have power over her own narrative like her narrative is very tightly focused on Gendo Mm -hmm. and her place in the world so to her seeing someone like Ray that way um really it, it it fucks with her and and to bring this back to kaji so we don't get too out of focus that's yeah. why she also admires kaji because kaji is always very in control of what he's doing and about yeah. his place in the world cuz i remember there was a a scene where she was like where asuka and kaji were talking and 
she was like, I didn't like Misato because she was just so fake. Yeah. Like she didn't feel like she was being genuine. And it's like, she admires the fact that she thinks that Kaji is being genuine because in his role as caretaker, I think he is being genuine. But mm -hmm. I think that Asuka is also a child and doesn't necessarily see that sort of conflict of identity within him that exists. Yeah, it's like when you're a kid and you don't really see your parents as people, you see your parents as parents. And then there's yeah. that and then there's that moment when you realize, oh, my parents are people and they fuck up too. Like Asuka never really gets that moment with Kaji. She always has him on some sort of a pedestal. And yeah. which kind of bumps me out that no apparently nobody informed Asuka that Kaji was dead. Yeah, that was pretty tragic. That and was I, weird. I I think that like honestly I think when Shinji was like, I told you he's not coming back, and Asuka finally realizes he's dead, I think Shinji thought that she knew. I don't think, and this yeah. is out of character for me, because typically I am not one to assume the best of Shinji. I think Shinji assumed that she already knew and that she was just in denial, and that he was like, mm -hmm. no, Asuka, I've literally told you a hundred times, he's not fucking coming back. Um, you know, I think that he assumed that someone would have told her because they were so close or that Misato would have yeah. told her but Misato is just so wrapped up in her own grief that she can't even conceive of other people outside of herself and yep. so it's it's I I wish that there had been you know a little bit more communication with everyone regarding Kaji's death I understand why there wasn't but I wish we could yeah. have gotten that sort of those sorts of scenes for everyone grieving and not just Misato because we don't really get to see Shinji grieve. We don't really get to see Asuka grieve outside of that one moment where she's like, oh my god, what the fuck? I, and... I thought she was gonna, like, I, I was watching, when I was watching the show, I think I watched, like, two to three episodes a night before, you know, falling asleep and going back to work when work was a thing in the before right? times. Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and I remember, like, finishing episode 21 where Kaji dies, and my immediate thought was, oh, shit how's asuka gonna react and we never really see that like nope. we we just see like the shot of the coffee on the floor and them arguing about it but you don't you don't get the impression that asuka believes kaji's dead yeah until until she gets uh her mind violated and she calls out for kaji which which is utterly tragic it is it was very because in her, in her sobbing, she calls out to him, like, Mr. Kaji, I've been defiled. Because Kaji probably is the she, only adult figure in her life that has shown her even a sliver of worry or affection. Yeah. And I think that's also her reaching out and saying, like, please forgive me. Because she, yeah. she takes that as, like, a betrayal of him. Because it was, she she felt like her being human, i.e., you know, associating humanity with, like, dirtiness was what made her mom fixate on a doll who was clean mm -hmm. and manipulable. Whereas, like, 
you know, Asuka was a human girl. And so when she calls out to Kaji, she's saying, you know, please forgive me. Please don't replace me because I'm broken now. Like, please I'm don't, crying. like, <laughs> please don't leave me alone. And it's like, please, Asuka, you're killing me. I had, I had to pause that episode. No, no, correction. My boyfriend had to pause <laughs> that episode because I could not see through my tears. I was like sobbing. I was like clutching my chest. I was like, this hurts. This hits too close to home. <laughs> but it like it does it's it's it really so does. it's so heart-wrenching to see that nobody but misato truly gets to grieve kaji yeah. because like ritsuko also presumably had a pretty cl- close relationship with him and i don't think we ever even see her get the news no there's this implication i don't know if you've read this i think q misato also wrote on this where there's this scene where Ritsuko's talking about how her grandmother forgot to take care of her cats. Oh, yeah, and, and one of them died. died. And, and a lot of people assume that Ritsuko's talking about Kaji. I don't really buy that because Ritsuko is... Ritsuko's not that detached, you know? I think she would have been more blunt with it and said, Oh, exactly. Kaji's, Kaji's dead. And then we would have seen her grieve. Exactly. But like I, I don't I don't I don't think we ever got to see anybody but Misato truly grieve. And I honestly don't even think Misato truly grieved because she didn't have the time. Yeah, no, she cried that one moment, Shinji ignored her, and then it was back to business. Yeah. It was it was all just very sort of tragic. Those, from episode twenty-one onwards, the the show goes like at 100 miles per hour it's like you you don't really rest it's like bam 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 something happening something happening something happening yeah and it's just non-stop revelations you don't get to, like misato doesn't get to grieve asuka doesn't get to grieve. you don't even get to grieve as the audience you're like oh shit okay oh shit kaji died okay oh shit asuka asuka is like comatose right now oh shit ray died oh there's another ray who's this this kaoru who like there's so much happening in those Honestly, last episodes I think there's so much that just happens that it feels it honestly it just feels like their lives where you feel like yeah. you can't fully absorb anything that happens because everything is happening and I think that that was that was something that I actually really liked about the last couple of episodes because a lot of times that's how life happens it doesn't necessarily stop when something tragic happens like when Kaji mm-hmm. dies their lives don't stop. The things that are happening don't stop. Angels don't stop coming. Nerve doesn't stop plotting. Gendo is still trying to implement the end of the world. Like, and and I think that that was what really sort of made it interesting was seeing like, okay, these characters in a normal narrative, quote unquote, would have time to dissect all of these different occurrences, and they would take like you know some time for each thing, but they can't. Because everything is happening at such a speed that you can't, you you can't get it all, and yeah. so you end up with things that like get ignored or forgotten, like Kaji dying. Um, and I thought that that was really sort of compelling because it felt like, oh shit! And you look back at the episode and you're like, oh shit, Kaji died! Oh my god! Yeah. Even even you kind of forget because everything just happens so fast. I think that the perfect combination of Kaji as a character, not him himself, but like what people think about him, comes in End of Ava. Mm-hmm. Because End of Ava, 
uh misa it, like that's the last thought misato has before dying like kaji did i did yeah. did i do good did i and did i do good and i'm like uh, oh, no. yeah no that that was that was and it was it was always because this is this goes back to what i said where his life revolves around asuka and misato where even in death they're both asking like did i do okay please don't yeah. abandon me did I do all right? Are you still proud of me? Mm-hmm. And you and know, I, and I think he would be. I think he would be because I honestly fact, do. Because just the fact that they tried and they did something out of themselves, I think, would have been enough for him to be like, "Yes, I am proud of you." Uh, I don't think because, there was anything they could have done to make him not proud of them in some way. Yeah, yeah, because Kaji's all about movement. Kaji's all about like. Like he's always on the go, so the fact that they they managed to like put themselves together and keep moving forward would have been enough for him to be like, yeah, I am proud of both of you, because I believe that the only yeah. other time where Kaji makes an appearance after that um, is in uh, instrumentality when when Shinji sees Misato and him oh, having yeah. sex. Yeah. Which is such okay. <laughs> I have thoughts. Surprise. Um, tell me, tell me your 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 spicy takes, please. It's such an interesting scene, it and is. like a lot of a lot of my thoughts about it are incredibly tied up in like Q Misato's thoughts about it, which are like mm-hmm. you know, it's. It's the inverse of who we see Kaji as, because we see Kaji as like this, like flirt. He's a whore. He's a himbo. He's out here flirting with <laughs> with Maya, who he knows is a lesbian. Like, yes. but but when Misato's like, hey, hey, it's 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 boning time. Let's go. He's like, uh, are you sure? Like, don't you have class? And she's like, uh, no, I'm good. And he's like, I'm good, uh, actually. Can you do all that right. thing again with your pinky? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's like, uh, all right, yeah, I guess we can we can like hang out here. He does not he's not like it's not as if he is unconsenting, but he is not in, as enthusiastic as you would think he would have been. Yeah. Based on what you know about him in the series. And that may just be that he has changed over the course of time, but even still, like as an adult later in the series where he's like walking Misato home he has virtually no interest in sleeping with her mm-hmm. and that's that's so interesting and I also have a lot of thoughts about how that's like you know there's this concept called the primal scene in in psychology yeah I, I mentioned it where in on Twitter was like the primal scene is essentially at its at its barest components it's when you walk in on your parents having sex and so mm-hmm. I, I think that the scene with Kaji has a lot of implications for Shinji and a lot of implications for Misato and a lot of implications for the like parent proxies that Shinji accrues over the course of the series and it's and that on its own is gonna it, it's like 30 minutes worth of talking so i'm not going to go too deep into it but essentially you know shinji sees misato sleeping with kaji as a betrayal Mm -hmm. because you know one the whole thing about the primal scene is it's very closely tied with like the oedipus complex and so you see your mom intimate with someone who isn't 
you because up until this point you've been you know pretty closely tied with her and that freaks you out and makes you feel something according to freud who mm, i have my own beef with who was Uh, wrong many times oh god yeah if i could you i don't like freud suffice to say but yeah same (laughs) the other thing is that my my ongoing hypothesis was that Shinji's parent proxies were Misato and Ritsuko, not Misato and Kaji. And so when Misato and Kaji are having sex in front of Shinji, he takes that as even more of a betrayal because Misato's not with his proxy father figure, Ritsuko. She's with Kaji. Yeah. And so it's like that sense of, you know, betraying your parentage and, and seeing them as human and seeing them as fallible Instead of, yeah. you know, putting them on a pedestal and saying, oh, they're my quote unquote parents. They can't do anything wrong. Yeah. And that's something that we get to experience from both uh, Shinji's perspective and Asuka. Because immediately after that, we get a little frame of Asuka being like, that's gross. Adults are icky. <laughs> like, I hope <laughs> yeah. I don't do that when I'm an adult. I think it's it's interesting to see that so many characters, including Kaji in Evangelion, could reasonably be assumed as like sex averse where sex plays such like a huge part in everything because we like we assume that kaji is just out there he's he's Mm -hmm. he's out there getting it we like assume that asuka and everyone assumes that asuka is kind of just like you know a horny 14 year old because 14 year olds are just like that and like I was you know, a 14-year-old. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I remember being 14. It was uh, yeah, not something that I would recommend. Um, but like we we see all of these people who we would assume would be, you know, sexually involved or sexually open. And it turns mm-hmm. out that they're not. Whereas the people we would assume to be frigid are like sexually active. Like Gendo in his own fucked up horrible way and Ritsuko who says oh yeah by the way I've been sleeping with Gendo and like all of the all of the people who we would assume to be sex averse are actually like no I've been doing this like all the time yeah I I like that you bring that up because uh, that comes very much into play when in episode 20 when Ritsuko and Misato are in the car and Ritsuko's like oh you want to go get a drink and Misato's like no I have plans bye and she leaves Ritsuko like in the middle of the road and we cut we cut cut that before that Ritsuko's like ah she's off to find her lover I can't say much because I'm I'm doing the same or whatever and then we cut to Misato and Kaji getting getting it on and Misato's like oh Ritsuko probably looks down on me and I'm like girl no she doesn't Yeah, honestly, that's, she, that's just, she. That's just your own internalized misogyny talking, because ooh. Yeah. First of all, you guys have no reason to look down on each other, but yeah. Regardless, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to sort of dissect the purpose that sex serves within the narrative, especially mm-hmm. pertaining to like Misato and Kaji, because it's always kind of like a, it's it's an idea. It's an yeah, I, it, it, we we never see it until one he's either literally fixing to die so it's essentially saying like you know what there's no other 
this is my hypothesis, which was that he was essentially saying like, there's no other intimacy that you will accept from me besides this. This will be my last intimate act, despite, you know, typically people's last intimate acts being like a kiss or like a hug or an impassioned speech. But he knew that Misato wouldn't necessarily accept that. So he was like, this, this is it. Like, this is my final intimate act. And then after, yeah, (laughs) you know, the most romantic thing you could do. But I also think that she is afraid of romance and afraid of what that would imply. And so I think that he was like, you know what, this is the only thing that you'll take. And so I will give it to you because I want you to have something. And then, you know, he dies. And then the next time we see them having sex, it's in a flashback. And so I think it, it serves sort of a narrative purpose. And I think it's important to interrogate, you know, what what is the point of showing me this other than to make me a little bit uncomfortable? <laughs> I remember I remember watching that scene and telling my boyfriend, like, I don't know about you, but Kaji sounds like he knows what he's doing. Because <laughs> Misato, Misato is, it's really, it really is the only way Misato, like, responds to what Kaji's trying to say, because even in the middle of their there of them actually having sex he stops to put the the pill the capsule thing away yeah. and she she automatically assumes that he's he's gonna do something weird with it <laughs> but he's like no this is the last gift like this is a gift i'm going to give you it might be my last and that's where the episode ends yeah i think mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting to sort of watch them interact that way because it's it's just there's so much there's so much and there's so much nuance to like how they interact with each other sexually they're so interesting like and i say this as a romance novel enthusiast because i am (laughs) but what's interesting about them is not only how they reverse the the traditional gender roles and how these things interplay but how they come into fruition in the overall narrative because at the end of the day because misato had this type of intimacy with him the only type of intimacy that she's willing to have with anyone is how she discovers the truth is how she gets the capsule with the information yeah it's it's just it's a lot i love them both though i i truly do i I think rewatching this with Kaji in mind has firmly established him as like top three favorite characters. And yeah. it's, def- it's definitely like, to me, it's Asuka, Misato, Kaji. I love them. I have not yet formed sort of my, my pyramid of favorites, but he is definitely up there. Yeah. He's so interesting. He's, he's so unlike, the the usual character archetype you get with a character like his and the fact that we can just keep talking and digging all night as to what exactly his motives were and his his intentions were just speak a lot about how well written he is at the end of the day to the point where we want more we want more of kaji i do like i i want i want more kaji content please (laughs) and that's why i make it God, I, I am I am so close to making my own too. I'm yeah. like, oh. you know what's funny? <laughs> what? As as we are recording this, I have to glance at my Twitter timeline, and <laughs> Kumi literally just t- 
tweeted something about the adult trio deserving their own show. Oh no, let me see. We um, all we all share like three brain cells and they just bounce back and forth. They bounce between like Misato, Ritsuko, and Kaji always. Yeah, always, constantly. <laughs> oh man. I love I love watching uh Bald Misato and Q Misato over at the interact they're, with each other because wow they're galaxy brains <laughs> truly but yeah no he's just like such an interesting character and honestly i could talk about him for a long time because i see a lot of similarities between kaji and like people in my life and it's it's an interesting way to sort of view actual people and see you know the nuance in like oh people you know are complex people have more to them than what they tell you and mm-hmm. i think it's it's just ugh, ugh, he's just a good character he's he's fantastic i he's definitely my favorite male character i can say that <clears throat> with my whole ass chest like, agreed yeah no agreed <laughs> not a lot of competition not a it's it's, it's fine it's fine. He's my favorite. <laughs> like, And I feel like he's severely underrated. I do feel like I see less Kaji content than I do like other characters. And I get it. You know, he's not like, he's not part of quote unquote the main cast. But also. But there's so much to him. Yeah. Like I, I would, I would love to see other people's interpretations of his character or like other people's interpretations of the way that he interacts with like Shinji or Misato or Ritsuko or Asuka, I would love that. But it's it feels like pulling teeth trying to find Kaji content. We 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 can start. I don't know. This this, this doesn't have to be the only uh, Kaji episode. Like we can probably we'll probably get more into Kaji as we talk about the other characters because Kaji is fundamental to Asuka and he's fundamental to Misato. He even has a big part in Shinji's whole role and. God, if if I ever do an episode of Gendo, I have to bring him up because Kaji's the only one who, like, Kaji's the only one who can, like, go up to Gendo and say, fuck you. Like, no one else is going to do that. Like, the only person who gets close to doing that is Ritsuko at the end, like, at the very end, in End of Evangelion. Yeah. And she's, like, about to shoot him. But anyone else he's the only one who can be like fuck you you it's it's the most interesting dynamic it's hilarious he has zero respect for gendo and i have to stand (laughs) you know what you know what kaji writes kaji is the only man who deserves rights 2020 he's the the only man he's the only man period i I don't care period that's it (laughs) <laughs> fuck Gendo, fuck Pitsuki, that's it. Just Kaji, no one else. Kaji. Shinji's not a man yet, so he gets a little bit Shinji. of leeway. Shinji's baby. Shinji's baby. He's still baby. Kaji, Kaji's uh, the only man. Yeah. True. Agreed. God. I think that I, I think that's the perfect way to like end this, wrap this up, because I yeah. have no idea how long this has been, but whatever, it's all good content, baby. <laughs> <laughs> If no one else is going to make Kaji content, we're going to make Kaji content. And that's oh, great. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Audrey. I, like, 
I love having you here. It was great. I hope you come back. Like honestly, like <laughs> your 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 galaxy brain is amazing. I love talking to you. You're very easy to talk to. Um you've been you've been very helpful with me so far figuring this whole recording thing out. And yeah, just no, I uh thank you for having me. Oh, psh, anytime, anytime. If, if you ever want to come back and be like I have thoughts about sex, I can be like great. I'll make a space in my schedule and we'll we'll get an episode exclusively about sex and I'll bring you to it because the way I still have planned out to do this podcast is um and one episode is focused on character, one episode focused on theme. Yeah, and then just swapping off. Exactly. Because if we do all the characters in like 13 episodes, we'll be done. So, <laughs> you know, we need to yeah. expand that because quarantine is here to stay. And, you know, yeah. I, I got I to gotta make some use out of my hyperfixation. Honestly, at this point, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I just need something to do during these hundreds of empty days that I've had to fill since March. So yeah. I, I am, I am here. I'm ready to talk about Evangelion all the time yes. because my Perfect. roommate and my fiance are fucking tired of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> Nobody else in my life likes it as much as I do. And they're like, oh, yes, we get it. You have three brain cells and they're all singing a cool angel's We get it. <laughs> What? And I'm like, how do you know that? Okay. And they're like, you don't make it subtle. <laughs> yeah, we can we can see it on your face. Like we know. You you remember that theme a couple of uh that meme a couple of uh months ago or years, I don't know, time is irrelevant, about like a therapist reading your mind and then saying, What the fuck? Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> it's just a cool angel thesis blasting in my brain at all times. <laughs> Yeah, same. I think it's just for for me, it's like I'm terrified that if at some point we sort of progress as a species to the point where we can read each other's minds, I'm just terrified that everyone's going to be like, no, Audrey, you have bad takes about Evangelion. And I'm going to say, how did you know that? And they're going to say, I read your fucking mind. <sighs> and then I'll be ruined. <laughs> My reputation as a galaxy-brained person will be oh. ruined. Oh, I don't don't even count on having a bad take because I have a really I have a really bad take. I have an unpopular take, which I'm not gonna mention now. I can mention to you later on the end oh, if yeah, you want. Tell me later. Yeah, uh, but I have a re I have a really unpopular opinion that I didn't know was unpopular until I started researching it, and I was like, oh, people don't like this. <laughs> But I'll, I'll tell you in the DMs later. So, sure. again, thank you so much for coming. It was a blast having you here. I had so much fun. It's embarrassing how much I've been looking forward to this all week. Like, Honestly, I I'm just excited to have human contact <laughs> outside of the people who live in my house. Yeah. And th this is the way to do it, and this is how we're going to do it. So Yeah, honestly. But yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated, you know, being given a platform to talk about my thoughts on the bullshit. <laughs> where where can people find you on 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 the Twitters? Uh I am at Misato with uh two lowercase L's all caps. Otherwise, um and other than that, that's about it. That's really my only sort of Evangelion media that I engage with is on twitter so follow them over at at misato with two l's right that the lowercase yes. l for the eyes yes. um 
again, you can follow the podcast at Ava X Lilith. It's pretty simple. We have a Ko-Fi now. If anyone can contribute to that, most of those profits are just gonna, you know, help me like get a better recording set, better uh, headphones, better microphones. You don't have to. Just if you can, if you want to show me support, just a couple of dollars my way through Ko-Fi would be greatly appreciated. And thank you for listening. Uh, if you manage to get this long. Because I don't know how long this episode is. Thank you so much. Uh, follow Audrey. Follow the podcast. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.